Welcome to the Mindful Money Manager Podcast. I'm Sarah Ayadanza, and for those who don't know, I'm a financial advisor at UBS Financial Services. I'm located in Melville, New York, and I can be reached at 631-334-9456. Today, I'm joined by Brock Campbell. He's the head of global research at Newton Investment Management. Newton is a global investment management firm headquartered in London. They're an institutional investment house with equity, fixed income, and multi-asset funds. In today's episode, Brock and I are going to discuss the exciting world of equities, and I will pick his brain on what we lucky investors can expect to see heading into the rest of 2003 and into 2004. Brock, welcome to the Mindful Money Manager podcast. Hey, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Sure. So you have quite the resume. Tell us about your role as head of global research at Newton Investments. Yeah, well, well, thank you for that. As you mentioned, I'm the head of research at Newton. Um, Our research team is 20-plus fundamental equity research analysts covering small, mid, and large-cap securities. Uh, And we're global in nature, so we do do both developed as well as emerging stocks. I also happen to be an analyst myself. So I cover uh, infrastructure-related equities. Think of things like electric utilities, gas utilities, telecoms. I like to tell people, if you get a monthly bill from a company and it's not Netflix, it's probably some company that I cover. (laughs) And I also am a portfolio manager uh, on a few months of the firm. Okay. How long have you been doing investment research? Yeah, long time. Uh, (laughs) I started doing research in 07. I joined the firm actually in 05. Funny story, started it uh, in our marketing department. And my role in that marketing department, among other things, was I got performance documents and I had to get the portfolio managers that ran those products to sign those, and I put them in envelopes and mailed them out. Thank you for email being created, and ultimately that job uh, wasn't needed. But what I what I realized doing that, and the benefit of doing that, was I got exposure to the investment side, and that's when I that's when I had this realization. I said, "This is where I want to be." So I begged my way down to become a research associate in 2007, and I've been doing uh, investment research ever since. So I know you're a proud CFA, which stands for Chartered Financial Analyst. Why did you choose to get this designation? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I'll tell you that the CFA MBA debate is probably one that rages in every investment platform. I think it's up there, you know, Red Sox, Yankees, in my neck of the woods, maybe uh, Coke, Pepsi, and others. But the reason why I chose the CFA was, was more of a practical matter. If you think of when I was coming up in the industry of 2007, 2008, 2009, and that was when the GSB, we were right in the teeth of that, right? It was an amazing time to be in markets, and it was a really tumultuous time. Now, if I was going to do an MBA, I would have chosen to go full-time and have that experience. But I realized that I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to be talking to senior analysts that were analyzing banks. I wanted to be understanding, you know, all these policy metrics coming up from government to stabilize the financial markets. I really wanted to be there. So the best way to do that was do the CFA. I could do that after hours. I could do that on the weekends. But all the while, get that experience that I really wanted. Right. How do you utilize analytics in your day-to-day job function? So I think that's a really great question. I, I kind of think of an analyst as almost being too halved. So that CFA that I talked about for the MBA, what those do is really develop those technical skills, those analytics how to look at an income statement, how to understand balance sheets, how to forecast past flows, you know, how to do valuation sensitivities. Those are really what I consider technical expertise that I use, those analytics I use on a daily basis. I consider that the science of investing. 
But importantly, I think the other side of it, the, the art of investing, right, those inferences that you pick up and develop, I think, you know, and my personal experience, I believe uh, investing is an apprenticeship. I think you have to be playing, uh, you have to be working with senior analysts to get that experience. But that soft side of going to a management team, going to a CEO and asking them a question and, and seeing their reaction, seeing what they tell, tell you back and kind of reading between the lines on what that meant, you know, understanding sentiment of an investment, you know, is the market very bullish on this you know, element of the case that the market very bearish. Those are those, those skills, that art, that is really another part that's outside of what I think people consider traditional analytics. And I think great investors, and I have the, the pleasure of working, you know, who I believe are great investors, they have both sides of that. And it's, it's really impressive when they come together. Right, for sure. I mean, in my line of work, the analytics comes up a lot. And there's some really smart people out there that, you know, I utilize UBS research and I, you know, look at other people's research, people like you, and it helps a lot in forecasting uh, things with equities and the market in general. So this is a question I'm personally curious. How do you stay up to date with current events and investment issues? So do you like podcasts? Do you read the newspaper? Do you watch TV? Do you like CNBC? Tell me about that. I'll be completely honest. So outside of my day job, which is a deluge of information uh, from traditional sources, from document management teams and all that, putting those on one side, the um, outside of those sources, I am a podcast listener. Uh, so during COVID, I picked up running, and uh, one of those best practices is now I married running with podcast listening. I would say I kind of structure my pods throughout the week. So in the early parts of the week, I like to listen to market discussions. I actually picked up the UPS pod on Monday this week. They were talking about fixed income and their, their outlook. But that's really great to get other people's insights and to help build your mosaic of a market outlook. But by the end of the week, I'm doing longer runs. So I like to feather in more pods on like leadership, on culture building. So you, you front load the week with, with the market and then towards the end of the week, it's more more uh, personal development and growth. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> as far as like staying up to date with what's going on in the market though, you know, are you paying attention to the TV? And for my clients, a lot of that, a lot of their day sometimes is driven by paying so much attention to the TV. And sometimes that can be detrimental with what's happening in the market. So it's it's hard to find a balance between paying attention and kind of weeding through some of the noise. Right. And I think that's, um, I think that's a really great point, this kind of distinction and, and trying to separate the emotional reaction uh, to investment news. And then really what we're all trying to do is, is lead to a, an investment outcome or financial outcome. And I do find, you know, but for my day-to-day, I probably spend more time looking more at my own kind of uh, sources of financial information as opposed to, you know, watching, watching the news. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. What is your typical process for screening investments and how do you work? I know you said you have a team of 25 people. Yeah. How do you work with them, firstly, to pick investments for your portfolios and funds? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's actually one that's, that's a bit complex. So I'm going to take us up 30,000 feet and then we're going to lower the plane down to, to under 10,000 feet. So at a very high level, right? It's, it's that marriage of art and science. It's that doing the analytical research, building financial models, 
it's understanding compelling valuation opportunities, it's talking to management teams, it's, you know, reading uh, industry reports. You know, we've developed a multidimensional research platform at the company where we started to layer in these really differentiated sources. So understanding private market impacts, understanding, you know, credit insights, the thematic drivers. So that's very high level on how people, you know, structure those investment processes and appropriate investments. I would say, you know, the uniqueness of investing is how differentiated each investment opportunity is. So just look at, you know, companies that could be very similar. They could be in the same sector, uh, like consumer discretionary. However, the drivers of those businesses could be worlds apart, right? You could have one business where the driver is, you know, uh, sales at a fast food, fast food company. Could be margins of that business, could be the defensive characteristics of the business. But in the same sector, you could have to analyze, you know, a company that's exposed to cloud computing. And that's a completely different way of analyzing a business. So we understood that was a very complex way of looking at the world at a very uh, monolithic nature. So we actually broke down the world into five research pods. So we looked to group like securities. And we find that that's a really innovative way that, that's helped us, you know, understand how to analyze that specific areas of the market. I would say the pod I'm on is interest rate sensitive stable. But that's where interest rates have a big part of that investment process. Uh, another pod is true cyclical. So this is where really cyclical businesses are, things like energy, materials, cyclical industrial. So if you think about those businesses, what do you have to do? As a commodity analyst, you have to look at the supply and demand of oil. It always starts at the top of that, that commodity first, that cycle first mindset. Uh, another pod we created is the growth cyclical pod. This is cyclical companies that have uh, secular growth tailwinds. We call it, you know, you made it really the term, but quality compounder. So if you think of like a HVAC company, heating, ventilation, and, and cooling, essentially AC for, for big commercial buildings. Obviously, that's exposed cycles, but it has this big secular growth opportunity of decarbonization and electrification. Again, analyzing that business and interpreting its investment uh, attractiveness is totally different than any of the, the others. Uh, another pod we created is secular uh, or secular pod. This is where all the cool stuff's happening. This is the pod everyone wants to talk about. It's where AI is, where fintech is. It's really where consumer platforms are and our tech space. Again, people in that pod, they're trying to judge what this future market opportunity is and how much that the company is going to tap for that. What's their moat? Uh, and then our last pod is research and development. And this is where science has a greater impact. Again, it's the, probably the most natural one that comes to mind is biotech. Science has an unbelievable big impact on understanding that investment opportunity. And that's where, where our healthcare group sits. But, the question, how do I do it? How do I have a, you know, analyze all these businesses? Well, we realized that you really had to break them down into these five research pods mm-hmm. to, to really have that kind of similar analysis because it is so differentiated. There is really no one rule uh, when you're looking across the, the wide range of equities. Right. So you're not just looking at one specific sector with equities. You look at, and it's global, right? So you're not just focused on U.S. equities either. So you look at emerging markets, you're looking at, at, you know, overseas, anything that's in that equity range. Absolutely. So we're looking up and down cap, uh, mm-hmm. domestic U.S. And, and non-U.S. And we, you know, I, I should have mentioned this at the, the top, but, uh, you know, much of our team is in London and much of our team is in, is in Boston. Um, and it gives you that additional global perspective when analyzing these businesses across the platform. Now, that seems like a really wide range of opportunities. And I would say every day at 8.30 Eastern Standard is when that 
all of that black work comes together. Mm-hmm. So it's when you have all of those research pods and you have all these differentiated resources come together, whether they be located in Boston or the UK. And it isn't around the horn of each pod talks about things happening in their market. It really is a powerful thing, but it is all cap and global in nature. Very cool. Um, I would like to know, how do you use fundamentals to decide if a stock has longevity, to decide if, if, you, if it's yeah. worth owning, if you like it? Yeah. That, that's a great question, and I'm personally a big fan of, you know, high, big, high conviction in, in a security, um, and as long as, you know, the, the investment case still holds sticking sticking with that security. But I think, you know, the, the key to getting that confidence and conviction in it is is building that mosaic and having confidence in that mosaic. And we recognize that when we when we built this multidimensional research platform. So going back to, you know, the traditional way of looking at equity, it's talking to management teams, it's building your earnings models, you know, it's talking to industry, all those kind of standard things. And we said, wow, I think there's some other tools in the market that we could be integrating in thoughtfully. So look at look at that, right? It tells you the way to tech investors who they're always looking out multiple years in the future, really trying to understand a market opportunity and trying to understand if the company they're looking at has a mousetrap that's going to be able to cap for a lot of that. That's the problem sometimes in that type of investing looking that far out, especially in the tech space is, you know, a lot of companies are staying private for longer. And so if you're a fundamental equity investor like me and you're trying to do a market analysis, but most of your disruptors and competitors now sit in private markets, that's really hard to do. But as a conviction in that case, what we said is, oh, we can build a private markets team. And instead of siloing them or separating them off and having them do their own thing, we said, let's bring them in and, and tie them with this research analyst. So again, think if I have a software analyst, she's looking at multiple companies uh, in the software space, and she has, she has a really high conviction on this on this one company that she thinks is going to capture a big TAM, but she doesn't see this private ent- entity in the private market because she doesn't have access to it. Now, our, our private market team brings her into the conversation. That, that private company has a discussion with them. That public equity analyst can now drive that conversation, ask them why their mousetrap is so good. That is, that is gold for when that analyst has those insights and then brings it and does that public equity analysis. It really gives you that holistic view. So how do you get longevity? You get longevity by layering in more conviction into your case. And we think you get that conviction. One tool to do that is by bringing these multidimensional resources uh, into the conversation. Very cool. I'm curious, how do you use thematic investment strategies in your research? So that ties into... That topic of AI, which, like you said, is on everyone's mind, especially this year. We've seen the NASDAQ go crazy this year. So uh, tech is a big, big front runner in 2023. And also, is that sustainable into next year? I mean, like you said, tech, everyone's forward thinking when it comes to the 5G capabilities and AI. And that's been that's been the really big excitement going into this year so. Just uh, tell us how you use that in your research. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's great you mentioned thematic because that's another tool to give you kind of ballast and long, you know, confidence in that longevity of investment case. At the end of the day, you always have to accept what you're paying for certain things. But AI is something that I'm very excited about, the team's very excited about. I do think it is has the prospect of being a game changer. Importantly, the list of unknowns and opportunities, you know, are, are so big that really gives us an opportunity as investors to, to express that. So we are very uh, positive on AI. 
you know, kind of thinking of some of the challenges facing, you know, uh, you know, the, the economic conditions and the, the labor conditions, you do wonder if there's a productivity enhancement that AI could present. You know, I'm, I'm bullish on just how it can make me better. Um, think of all, you know, the sources of information I get and how powerful it could get if I could harness artificial intelligence to really focus on those areas that or distill all that information to more concise speed. So I'm very positive on AI. You know, the team is as well. I think we're very positive on data in general, right? I mean, the amount of data you're going to have to be um, generating just to, you know, use AI and leverage AI and what AI will be creating for, for data, that's very powerful. You know, utility investor by trade, but it's amazing data centers kind of coming up. That's another form of infrastructure that's, you know, really kind of, powerful trend in this whole space. I would say there's other themes that we're also looking at. AI is one that's really topical. Everyone wants to talk about it. Deglobalization is one that we're very optimistic on. We do think supply chains are being rewritten as we speak, and we think there's a lot of opportunities across that to invest. We just had a discussion on obesity. Not sure it's necessarily, you know, front of mind on everyone's systematic investing perspective, but certainly topical in the news. And that may be an area where I can talk about thematic investing. We talk about risks and opportunities. You know, I think the market has perceived a lot of risks associated with obesity drugs in the sense, uh, not with the drugs view, but maybe some areas of the market that it could disrupt. And there could be, you know, maybe there's opportunities around those areas, or maybe there's opportunities to invest in the, in the obesity market, you know, as well. But, you know, selfishly as a, as a person and kind of looking at all the bad things that obesity can do to people, I'm I was shocked when our team was going through all the ailments that are caused by obesity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am hopeful, of, you know, as a human of what that could be. Right. I actually, while you were speaking about on the AI subject, I thought of a sub question. Do you think there's a potential there for oversaturation in the market uh, with the slew of companies getting into AI? Is that a potential thing that could happen? Yes, all these uh, competitors offering different right. products, and yes, absolutely. I mean, I think you see that uh, many times when new developments occur. There's there's the floodgates open, financing happens, right. you know, money's easy for, for these hot dots, and you see a lot of competitors come to market. You know, that's the job of, a, of an equity amp. And again, why we have this private market team is probably a lot of those disruptors are now going to come from, from private areas. So we're really excited that we have those private market insights. But ultimately, you know, the way markets progress is, you know, the ones that don't have the product, don't have the economic behind the product, can't get it off the ground, those will, will, will dissipate and fall to the wayside, and ultimately the winners will, will win. But we do think, you know, this is a big opportunity for, for winners to win in, in this area. Right. It, it reminds me how um, five or six years ago, maybe a little more, the big headlines were in marijuana stocks. And I just remember how over oversaturated that market got. And it was almost like nothing, nothing ever came of it. Nothing ever blew up, but there were all these companies that we wanted, people wanted to invest in. And that's just what it reminds me of. Not that I think, I think AI is, has more longevity um, because of it technological in nature. And that's where I think the world is going with a lot of stuff, but it just, it just reminds me of, you know, how so many companies can come out of the woodwork and then just the IPOs are lots of talk around it, and then nothing ever really goes with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I've seen many excitement phases in my investing career, and it's it's um, uh, it's like that fumble, right? You're missing out. You want to get involved in the, in the next hottest thing. 
you know, you always got to kind of step back and it almost goes to our conversation of looking at the news. Mm-hmm. You almost have to step back and, and kind of stick to your process, right? We talk a lot about process, how we do right. things. And, uh, sticking to that knitting and understanding, is this a real investment opportunity or is it, um, is it just excitement? And that can right. be tough. I mean, it can be tough looking at those stocks that you don't necessarily, you know, believe in or maybe stocks you do believe in and are going down. It's hard to work against that tape. But as long as you believe in your investment case and, and stick with it, it's usually the right way and that's one of the hard jobs for an advisor is you have a plan you portray that to the client and then they want in on the ipos that or something that may not fit in or crypto or whatever it might be something that just doesn't fit into the long term and for and it depends it's very individual by nature on whether or not it makes sense to allocate a little bit into the portfolio just to see uh, just to not not placate, but just so the client can participate. Um, but there's a fine line because there, like you said, there is a plan, and you're paying an advisor for that plan and to keep you in check because the advice. It's very easy for the investor to stray, and that is something I, I talk about a lot. Is that the self self control? You know, a self directed account is it's very hard for an investor to stay on track on their own. Um, I've seen it happen a lot of times where there's they're just a lot of trading with emotion and trading um, with impulse. So it, it's a it's a definitely a fine line to tread in this business. Um, my next question is: What would your advice be for those listening who have long term time horizons? So basically, like what we were just saying. So your advice, you know, for someone who's they're still working full time, they're not retiring for a long time. This is probably more in your realm uh, as opposed to mine. I'm sure you have great insights you could share with me on this. But I always think of, you know, having that plan, having that process and sticking with plan and process. And that's how I invest as an investor, right? I, I have this outcome. I have this belief, right, this philosophy. Uh, and then I have this process that I always rely on. So when things get tough, I always know, okay, do I still have this belief? And this belief still accurate market? And do I still have this process? And is this process still going to fulfill that outcome that I want? And, and it's, it's hard. I mean, investing um, can be a challenge, right? There's the markets move in many different directions. They move for reasons that you don't really appreciate why they move that way. But as long as you can, I, I do have found comfort in this as, I, as I've been investing for more and more. I do have comfort in this process. I truly believe in, in what I do. But I, you know, I always think people are, people should do three things, right? And this is how I say as an analyst talking to peer analysts um, and maybe more junior people. First, you have to um, define what you're doing. You have to define how your process. You have to refine your process as it needs, and then ultimately you have to evolve if, if necessary. But really, as long as you believe in that process, then, then it does give you a good amount of balance during those periods of tumult. Right, I agree. So, are you? Are we still pro equities? Are the woes of 2022 behind us, or should we proceed with caution? Big question. Yeah, that's it. That's a great question. And boy, I'm glad you didn't ask me uh, in December of 22 because I would have given you a different answer. But now that I'm Monday morning quarterbacking this, I can give you the right answer, or at least what I think to be the right answer, right? Um, and I joke because I, I, like everyone else, was fighting over whether recession was going to happen in the first quarter or second quarter or third quarter. But it was definitely going to happen, right? Like, it just makes so much sense. It's far, policy was far too restrictive. There was going to be such pressures. Even with the banking crisis we had in the, in, in the spring, I mean, it just, it just made sense that we were going to have some sort of correction. So where are we today? Today, we're going to focus on the two eyes. We're going to focus on inflation and interest rates. 
Look, I think inflation is um, one of those things, you know, like when I got married, my wife and I uh, took box step lessons. So box step is slow, slow, quick, quick. Right. I think inflation, the, the inflation moved lower. And by the way, I probably did quick, quick, slow, slow too many times. And that's why we didn't dance well. But uh, I think inflation is going to go quick, quick, slow, slow. Meaning I think the, de- the decline in inflation, the quick, quick we've had, I think we're probably at a slow, slow period. And I believe that for, for three reasons, the three needs I call them. It's deglobalization. It's rewriting supply chains. I think by moving offshore from from all these far flung supply chains, which um, was a challenge during many periods, especially during COVID, but everyone's bringing those onshore or nearshore. I think that naturally causes inflation in the system. I do think decarbonization. I think that causes some inflation in the system, right? I ultimately believe renewable energy replacing fossil. I think that that's cheaper to do. Um, but I think in the interim, I think that could cause some inflationary pressures. And then demographics, the third is. The baby boomers aging out of the workforce. I think we're seeing really uh, acute labor pressure, and I think that's one of those issues. So the three Ds are going to lead to inflation being stickier for longer. That's going to dictate the interest rate narrative. Now, if we have another cut, or sorry, another, um, there you go, another increase ahead of us, we may, but I like to keep things really simple. I think the rate move we've had is, is so dramatic and so restrictive. Incrementally, I'm not as concerned. I think as you look out, maybe there's a little bit too much optimism sometimes around the rate cut. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that inflation is sticky. But as we progress through these, some of these inflationary pressures and we do see inflation coming down, I think we'll be off to a, a more normal cycle. We're all watching E, right, the employment numbers. Um, and it is amazing how resilient it has been. That's probably the surprise, right? That's why we are talking soft landing, which is probably where everyone's, where everyone's looking. To be candid, I think, you know, another scenario uh, is rolling recessions. Um, where you have maybe a certain area of the market go into a recession, um, while other areas of the market don't. So the overall, the picture is, you know, a slower growth economy. But that really lends itself to stock picking and, and having active management really invest in, in certain areas of the market. So as the next 12 months, that's, that's my base case. Inflation stays stickier in this middle-ish round, but does decline, um, and interest rates will take their cues. Right. Now, you know, we're heading into holiday season. We're almost in October. And typically, companies are doing better posting good earnings during the holiday season. Are we hopeful for to stay positive for 2023? No, absolutely. I think um, general economic conditions coming into the, the new year. I mean, again, the economy seems like it's been in pretty resilient shape. You know, there are some concerns, right? China's a concern. I think there's some European pressures that, you know, we are a global economy, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't ignore those. But, you know, as we go into the end of the year, um, it seems like we're in this resilient uh, economic picture despite, despite restrictive rates. Now, again, I don't think it's a robust growth period. I think that's very fair to, to assume that, in my opinion, it's not going to happen. Uh, but as we go into the end of the year, yeah, now I see a continuation of that trend. All right, great. What is your argument as an equities analyst to the 60-40 notion? I hear it all the time. So full disclosure, Nathan has a multi-half of business that invests in equities and, and bonds. Uh, so, you know, we, we talk about we talk about that concept of outcomes and um, process and, you know, 60-40, 70-30, whatever mixes we, we want to talk about, whatever those allocations are going to be. I think it's really kind of important to, to know whatever process and whatever investment you're making, you're, you're always going to advise that, that outcome. So if, if you decide, advisor decide, or whoever decides that's the right mix, then that's the right mix. But 
you know, like I think um, last year was an unbelievably uh, challenging period, obviously, for that type of portfolio. But, um, yeah, I, I think it really just comes down to, to whatever is required to get to that uh, outcome. Mm-hmm. Now, I know uh, speaking to last year, and I'll explain maybe to the listeners why last year was so challenging, we write, back me up if if I'm right or wrong, but we haven't had many periods in time where when stocks were down, bonds were down also. And that's that was uh, the one of the biggest anomalies, I would say, from 2022 and why I would, I guess, the Fed had to become so, you know, raise rates so quickly. They had to become so aggressive right. to no, counteract I, that. Yeah, absolutely. That was a yeah. That was a uniquely challenging challenging period for that type of um, type of world. But if you look at, I mean, in my opinion, if you look at today, the trajectory of interest rates that I just kind of laid out may be a little bit stickier, higher, given that inflation picture for a little bit longer. But my sense is, it's not. We're not facing down another period of, of rate rises, obviously, that we've had before. Right. But again, I'm not a income investor, but I'm an equity investor. But, you know, many of my equities look at interest rates as a cue for their valuation on, on discounted cash flow methodologies and kind of thinking out years, do I think interest rates are going to be higher or lower over time? I mean, my sense is they will be um, lower over time. Perfect. Before you go, tell me one thing you love about your job. I knew you were going to ask this question because I've listened to some other ones. It's, 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 a, it's a, such a hard one. Because it's 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 the energy. It's it's going into that office. It's going into that eight thirty meeting. It's the debate of stocks. It's um, people opining on nuances in markets. And you just can't. It's the collaboration. It's those elements that you can't really put a put a finger on. But when you're in that room and you feel that energy, you feel that purpose, right? You know, going in every day. We know what our jobs are. Our jobs are to provide financial outcomes and solutions for our clients. And that's a really powerful thing because people entrust us with their money that they work so hard to, to acquire and, and accumulate over time. So it's, it's going to that room and having that feel. That's the energy. That's why I wake up every day. That's why I go in. It's really, it's a really great environment. I like that. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brock Campbell from Newton Investment Management. I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me there. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. It does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any specific product or service. UBS does not provide legal or tax advice, and we would recommend listeners to obtain appropriate independent professional advice. Some of the views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Group AG or its affiliates. UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. These services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG and is a member of FINRA and SIPC.